and a one, and a two, and a one, two, three, four. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Knife Life Podcast. We're glad you're joining us for this conversation today. We've got some exciting things to talk about as well as exciting people who have joined us. My name is Eugene Kwan. You can find me on YouTube and Instagram under that handle. I'm Frank. You can uh, find me on YouTube as Dr. Frunky. Same thing on Instagram and uh, email drfrunky at gmail.com. This is Mike. I go by Bloom and Blade on Instagram. And this is Charlie. I go by Accidentally Knives. All right. So as you guys might already know, we've been fortunate to have a couple of guests on this show so far, and they've generally been uh, knife enthusiasts, collectors, just like all of us here. Uh, But tonight we have someone a little bit special in a different sense. Uh, joining us tonight and so boys and girls hold on to your knives you guys get that hold hold on to your knives uh oh geez i didn't hear any laughter so i just assumed that you didn't hear it right (laughs) uh but we we have joe and angie holt of holt blade works joining us tonight so let's give them a big welcome hey hey joe and angie welcome welcome uh, so this is the first time we've had um, actual makers on the show, on the podcast. And so, yeah, we, we're really excited to have you guys with us. And we would love to hear the story of how you guys got started, some of your thoughts on uh, being makers in the knife industry, some perspective that maybe uh, none of us really have access to, I guess. And as well as, you know, anything else that you'd like to share with us about what you guys are working on. Um, and yeah, we just kind of wanted to kick it over to you guys and and invite you to share a little bit about your story. So, yeah, Joe, Angie, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I started making knives probably when I was maybe seven or eight years old. Um, And it was was nothing fancy. It wasn't even tempered steel. Uh, The first one was uh, kind of a dagger just made out of mild steel. My dad had a spot welder that was uh, usable in the shop, and he didn't seem to mind if I used it. So I made up a really simple (laughs) (laughs) dagger with... uh, with an electrical tape handle. Um, the, the, the... He was not well supervised as a child. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on a second. This is a with an electrical tape handle? So we're talking like a prison ship. Yes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, I used uh, a black Sharpie to color the blade, so it was kind of like pseudo-DLC. It was pretty high-tech stuff for back then. Stealth. <laughs> wow, so... nice, nice. Low profile. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, I, I did, uh, you know, a little bit of making as I got older, you know, after I figured out that the steel should maybe be heat treated and shouldn't just be plain old mild steel, that kind of thing. You know, there's other materials other than electrical tape for the handle. And so I, I, I did some of that in my teens and I picked it back up when uh, I guess I was probably in my early 30s. Again, I thought it'd be something fun to do with my son. And we did a project together and I'd forgotten how much I really enjoyed it. And he seemed to also. So I did fixed blades for quite a few years, never made a lot, but yeah, maybe maybe 40 of them or something like that. Uh, mostly sold to friends and family, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I went to uh, Blade, Angie and I went together actually when we lived out in, in uh, North Carolina. And I, It was I, the most painful day uh, in the world. Well, you know, I had a different experience than she did. <laughs> That was our big uh, date weekend was to go to Blade Show and he drugged me around and made me look at all these fixed blades and wow. I was, yeah. All right, write that down, guys. Just pause the podcast right now. 
Take this down as a note. Keep it in your Google Keep or something. How to win a girl. Yeah. Show. <laughs> it must not have worked too bad. She's still here. Yeah, there you go. Married then, so I was stuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, it was the first yeah. uh, Blade Show I'd ever been to, and um, you know, one of my uh, my idols has always been Bob Loveless. I always thought he had the just the best workmanship, especially from you know the time frame when he was building knives. There just wasn't a lot of technology out there. It was all done by hand or you know, a little bit of manual machining on an old Bridgeport or something, but I always thought he had spectacular workmanship for the time time period. So I actually got to handle some of that stuff, and I was really, really impressed with it. It was it was a good show for me. Yeah. <laughs> How long ago was that? Which Blade show was that? Mm, maybe 14? Oh, it was longer than that. Was it longer than that? Yeah, maybe 12. 20, 2012, maybe? Like okay. That. okay. Yeah. But not, not too long ago. I mean, that's oh. fairly recent, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had you never gone before, or was this just a kind of a, a first time? Experience? No, it, it was a first time. I'd uh, I'd heard of Blade, but I'd never really been anywhere where it was close enough just to go to over a weekend, ah, you know, without flying. So that's that's what what brought us there. Yeah. So was what was the one that we went to? The follow up one that I went to was it 2015, um, 14? I don't know. Anyway, I guess it doesn't 16. matter. So we so I ended up going back um, by himself by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the sole purpose was <laughs> just to pick up some ironwood for the fixed blades that I was making. It's kind of hard to come by. At least decent stuff is hard to come by. So I, I just intended to go down there and buy some ironwood. Mm-hmm. And I could not get over all the high-end folders that were down there, especially mm-hmm. uh, off. I, I don't know how much time I spent at their table. Um, just very impressed with, with the action. And, you know, the, he has he has an interesting quality in that he's good at just about everything. He's got an mm-hmm. excellent eye for engineering. He has an excellent eye for the artistic flair on the knives. His lines always just yeah, flow. Yeah, a lot of times just sit there and stare at him because he'll have many things that are complimentary, and then there'll be a couple of random artistic lines that don't seem to go with anything, but they still go with everything. <laughs> it, you know, and he's they're brilliant knives. They really are. Oh, and yeah. he's a brilliant machinist to boot. I mean, he's he's just probably the well, in my opinion, one of the most well-rounded folder makers that's out there. I'm, Can I just point out you said to boot? <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody else catch that? Yeah, we were gonna let it slide. We're gonna let it fly into the reader. <laughs> Okay, go on. <laughs> so, so anyway, I guess I, the short of it was after after I got back from the show, I, I was very interested in, in uh, starting to make folders, but I didn't really know where to begin. I'm not a, you know, at that time I wasn't really a machinist. I didn't know anything about CNC. I didn't have a CNC machine. Um, and it certainly isn't something that would be reasonable for me to do on a, on a manual mill. So I had a small benchtop. Uh, mill, just a little grizzly, and uh, I converted that over to CNC, installed the ball screws, built a control uh, board for it, and, oh and uh, you know, it was it was decent enough to make a, a prototype, just kind of a proof of concept, but the thing just simply wasn't stiff enough to be cut in titanium well, so mm-hmm. I, I sold that and then bought a Tormac and uh, kind of started started <laughs> with that. It was, we, we don't have a walkout basement. <laughs> <laughs> so the Tormac by its by itself that just the iron of it's about twelve hundred pounds. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so he started he started talking about it and he was convinced that he could pull out a section of the stairs. We have like this open staircase that goes around the fireplace and he was gonna rip out half of the stairs so that he could somehow <laughs> swing the Tormac out and drop it through this hole. And he went through this like 
four-week campaign of trying to convince me he had thought all of this through. Everything I mean, it was just going to work. And then, like, a week before it gets here, he realizes that he hadn't actually, like, measured the outside dimensions of it, and it wasn't going to work. <laughs> One semi-important detail I missed. <laughs> See, see, he just needed to get you to yes, right? Yes, you yes, can buy that. Exactly. <laughs> so I'll figure out the details later. I'll just tell her I know it all. But yeah. <laughs> right. uh, so, so I ended up tearing. It's, it's in December when the thing comes. Our garage isn't heated. It's cold like you wouldn't believe out there. So I'm taking this mill apart in my garage. I've got an engine hoist lifting different pieces off of it, taking pictures of the wiring so I remember how to get things back together. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, it was a treat. So it took. Oh, probably two days to get most of it down there. And there was one piece that was left that must have weighed six or 700 pounds. And it was, it was past what I could do on my own. Hmm. So a buddy at work owed me a favor. So he and his son came <laughs> over and we got a refrigerator <laughs> cart and we got that downstairs without anybody getting hurt, got the mill back together and it actually worked. Wow. So, right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that cool. kind of makes me wonder. Um, I, I, I don't think you've mentioned yet, but, but what kind of a, like training do you guys have? Uh, I feel like you have to have some, a lot of uh, savvy with, with engineering and with machining to be able to even just disassemble something like that and reassemble it in, you know, uh, a, a good working order. So um, do you guys, have you guys had like a lot of experience with machining um, me metal and other materials before? Yeah, so my, my dad was a machinist growing up. Granted okay. it was all manual back then, but my dad worked as a machinist for quite a while. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been an engineer, software engineer, but an engineer since the early 90s mm. and, you know, been fairly close to hardware. So the electronic side of things wasn't much of a stretch. I've done uh, oh, a lot of constructive solid geometry, which lends itself to uh, learning the CAD stuff. You know, it makes it a lot easier to pick that that kind of thing up. Yeah. OK. So it sounds like a lot of your. Uh, bits and pieces of experience like all came together to be a good combination for making knives I guess yeah yeah, yeah. that's pretty awesome yeah, a lot of it kind of seems unrelated at first but it, it it's, it's related a little <laughs> <laughs> so how different was that prototype from from the Spectre was the Spectre the first folder knife model that you guys produced it is yeah we yeah. uh it's it's honestly not that different. Uh, the, the initial prototype I did was was smaller, uh, must have been about a maybe a three or three and a quarter inch blade, something like that. But it, it's largely the same. You know, we've made a lot of little refinements, you know, since we started. But yeah, it's it's pretty close to what we started with. So what you're crazy. saying is there's a possibility of a smaller one. I knew so. I knew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just interjecting for for Nick Shabazz fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike started salivating as soon as he said it was yes. a little smaller. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I wanted him to make like a three inch. I thought that would be the next mm. good size. Mm. Yeah, Where sure. did you yeah. end up at? So the like three and a quarter. Yeah, the model that I've got right now is right at three and a quarter. It's a sheep's foot. Whoa, I would say whoa, three whoa, and whoa, a quarter is, is, is perfect. Three inches generally yeah. is too small for most people, I think. I think you're probably right. Three and I a quarter really is a sweet spot. Three and yes, a quarter is a yes. nice size. Wait, but but there's a sheep's foot that you've got under wraps here? Hold on a second. Can we hear a little bit more about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, please. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what to tell you. Like I said, three and a quarter inch blade. Um, it's going to be a frame lock just like uh, the Spectre is. Um, Can we get it with uh, electrical tape inlay? 
<laughs> you know that that is an upgrade. It is uh, something you can get. Absolutely. <laughs> now, but, want the black marker finish on the blade? Yeah. Yes. Right. Please. Right. We call that the, the Holt finish. The, the Holt finish. finish. <laughs> the Joe special. special. Just for you, Eugene. Oh, that's super That's great. Yeah, you'll send Timascus, Mokume to all the other guys. I'll, I'll, I'll take the Sharpie and black electrical tape. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Well, so cool. you, then you guys have gotten to your first folder. Uh, where did the name Spectre come from? What, mm. what was the inspiration, really? You kind of mentioned Shiragorov, but uh, kind of curious. Back on it, I think the name maybe came from the Bond flick. I don't remember <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, there was really uh, no inspiration for it. <laughs> <laughs> like we gotta name it. We gotta name it. What movie are we watching tonight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> This could have just been called The Exorcist or like you know, <laughs> Starface or something else. You never know. Cars 3. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. a lot better than A Christmas Kiss, right? <laughs> Hotel Transylvania 3. <laughs> or just Golden Eye. Golden Eye. Oh, yeah. Hey, they, they Cold like Steel. That. Cold Steel would sue them. Very oh, cool. That's... Well, we blame it on Mike then. Yes. <laughs> Actually, we were trying to figure out what to name the next knife. We had so many things popping around, but maybe we just need to go, like, all-out Bond. Yeah. Well, I think you just got, like, like half a dozen suggestions right now. Please, please, please call it the Octopussy. Please call it the Octopussy. <laughs> 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 oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm writing this down. It's 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 going to be named that. You're welcome. You're welcome. So with, with, the, with the sheep's foot, then. Is this a sheep's foot with like a, a complete like like flat straight edge, or is it, or is there a little belly to it? No, it's got just a little bit of belly to it. Um, yes. All right. Nice. I was just trying to think of other knives that have a similar shape. Maybe a little bit like the um, the seagull. That sort of a shape. Seagull. For the blade. Yeah, for the bottom. Sigil. Sigil. Did, did I say that wrong? Sorry about that. I, sigil. I think it's yeah. called the sigil. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just okay. put a Midwestern accent on it. That's all I have to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Steven Siegel. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. One of the the things that's kind of up in the air. I haven't quite decided if we want to have a cutout in the top of the blade so that there's an alternative means of opening it, or possibly do a front flipper extension on it too. You know, because of the adjustable detent, you could tune it for whatever your preference was pretty easily. Goodness. That really does open up a lot of different possibilities. Yeah, I, my vote is for front flipper just because I yes. I'd like to see more of them on the market. Um, I think those are very popular right now and have mm -hmm. uh, a lot of potential to do well. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I would I also buy both. one. I've been trying to get him to or make one, both. but yeah, he claims so. that he has to be able to flip it. Like he can't <laughs> learn to front flip. He's uh, a little remedial there. You guys need to come out to man. California, and you know Charlie and I will show you. Or I guess you know who is it? Who's got Who's got about a dozen chamois here? <laughs> Mike, I do you have a lot of front flippers. To, yeah. You can call Tony. Tony Meter out there in Cali also has a bunch of them. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Basically, you guys just need to move to one of the coasts right now. It kind of sounds like it. You know, as cold yeah. as it's been lately, I'm all for it today. <laughs> Where are you guys well, located state, exactly? Yeah. That's uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Iowa can get pretty, pretty chilly out there. Very cold, but, yeah. So, 
so with the specter then and then whatever this next knife is going to be named is is that the next covered that okay yeah (laughs) yeah so is that going to be the next release do you think or is there something in between uh so we've got uh, the bolster lock and the specter bolster lock that we need to get uh, released first and then we'll start focusing on the sheep's foot after that oh my goodness this is now when you start making the sheep's foot model will you continue to make specters also or are you going to do you know one model at a time um so we'll probably, we probably will rotate we haven't decided for sure but it's it's kind of difficult to you know switch all the fixturing out between two different knives i think it'd be much simpler just to stick with one for a little bit and then okay. switch over to the other well, how big is your basement? Can you get another Tormac down there? <laughs> Hush. <laughs> no more machines are going in our basement. Oh, she's, she just got triggered, man. That was <laughs> that conversation has already happened before. <laughs> yes, it has. Along with, can't your car just sit in the driveway? <laughs> it's not going to happen. You know, there's only like so many of those scentsy candles I can put upstairs to make our house not smell like coolant. We've reached that like threshold. Just you can't go no more. No. Wait. So Angie, um, yeah. what about? I mean, you're 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 half this too. Did you have some any kind of technical background before you were before the knives? None. Absolutely none. So you I just got just roped into of, this. I came along for the ride. I uh, realized that after he was spending pretty much every night in the basement. And if I wanted to see him anymore, I probably needed to. Uh, <laughs> jump but I mean, on. now you're, you know, you're, you're, you're part of it full on too now, right? It's both of you. That's, that's everything. Yeah. yeah she spends as much time down here as I do. Absolutely. <clears throat> Joe does all the hard stuff like the machining and mostly assembling the knives, and I just take care of talking to customers and anodizing and sometimes just finishing blades and stuff, but. I don't know that I would call that an easy part of the job yeah, yeah, <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, give yourself a little more credit than that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, Plus especially you have to deal with customers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of one of the the funner parts of it. The more fun, what's the right? That's bed grammar, probably. Whatever it's supposed to be, that's the part I like. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I enjoy well, it. I think the thing I learned when you know, we went to Blade for the first time in June. So we had basically six months of working one-on-one with people and making knives. And I think we had like, a, what, 120? Yeah, sounds about right. And at that point, like, I, I'm i pretty sure I knew almost everybody. And I remembered, like, their name and what knife they had and all the conversations that we had. And then we got to Blade. And it was a really different experience because all of a sudden, all these knives that, you know, we put so much time in, they were just gone. Like, people bought them. And I felt almost like I had to interview people. It was it was strange to me. It came up like I was like giving them a dog or something, you know, making sure it was going to a good home. It was it was a hard experience for me to go through. So that was one of the first blade. Yeah. Yep. Well, as a maker. Yeah, as a maker. Yeah, as a maker. Yeah. As yeah. A maker, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things that comes up on the show a lot is you know dealing with uh, custom makers, and that was one of the things that right out of the gate you had a fantastic reputation for oh yes yes. i mean everybody be talking about emails from angie these like giant walls of text with like pictures you know perfect pictures of everything that goes really that goes really far for a maker we've all complained about it with some other people a few times and that was a i feel like that was a big part of it yeah that was the part i enjoyed the most yeah and definitely i mean when i was at blade show this past june i think all of us were um yeah but uh but when I stopped by your booth, um, I mean, that was one of the best 
highlights of the whole whole trip and part of it was because i got an awesome knife i got number 152 um huh. but also because um i just remember i was struck by how well and thoroughly and clearly you guys explained the knife to your customers how how kind you were in interaction with them and I, that just sold me on it too I, I already liked the knife but i knew i had to take it home with me because i knew i'd be supporting a couple of great people so yeah thank that you. was really huge thank you yeah and i think you you know i had told you angie about maybe uh taking some hate mail and turning it into target practice for your throwing <laughs> knives yeah yeah i, 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 <laughs> I remember that, that conversation i yeah. took it to heart <laughs> yeah, so, could we be seeing a, a line of throwing knives whole blade works throwing <laughs> knives as well <laughs> <laughs> I love it. yeah this I'm really bad um, throwing anything, so I'm I'm banned. I can't even throw rocks <laughs> to the river. It like goes over my shoulder. It's terribly embarrassing. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times we were at the beach together, and she'd go to throw a shell out in the ocean. I'd get hit in the melon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe, that wasn't an accident. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I mean, five or six times. <laughs> well, well, hey, I can't. So yeah, I can ahead. definitely uh, def attest to uh, at Blade Show. I, I came up to the table and I, I also had a good experience, guys. I you showed me how the detent worked. You didn't know who I was. I was just some random guy, and you took some time and you showed me a knife. And uh, you know, then later we got to hang out over at the Chad Nichols table, and that was yeah. a lot of fun. And that oh, should turn turn into something awesome here in the next little while, maybe. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, secrets and, and nothing else so uh, i do want to talk more about the bolster lock at some point that's a kind of a cool a cool thing eugene you had a question though oh no i mean that uh, that's that's a perfect segue into that yeah i wanted to also uh learn and have our have our listeners also learn a little bit more about this bolster lock kind of what was the genesis of it what what made you guys want to go in that direction or and uh yeah how how do you so like what kind of challenges are you running into with that or if, if you'd like to share. So I think we, uh, we we started talking about it when we saw some of JD's knives. You know, oh, yeah. yeah his, That's right. He, he makes a spectacular really? knife. I was just truly impressed with him. And, you know, I thought it'd be a great thing to try, you know, because we have most of the rest of the geometry sorted out on the uh, Spectre. So just turning it into a bolster lock seemed like a logical way to learn about it and perhaps make a product if it turned out. Um, the inlays are probably the most challenging aspect of that, especially with the Tormac. You know, it, it's it's a pretty accurate machine, but compared to you know like a high-end Haas VF2 or Mori or something like that, they don't hold a candle. Um, mm. So the the inlays are a little bit more of a challenge to get on the on the Tormac, but I've pretty well got that sorted out to where they're nice and tight. Um, Holding a lot of the inlay material when you're when you're initially machining, it's kind of challenging too because there's just not that much real estate to get a hold of. Mm -hmm. So you know, use a lot of special fixtures to hold onto that that kind of stuff. So those those are probably the main challenges that we ran across. Yeah, uh, and you had mentioned before uh, that you were impressed by Shirogorov and his artistic touch. Did you have any struggles with the uh, artistic aspect of a bolster lock? Um, like the design yeah, actually, you know, the, as far as the cosmetics, it seems like I always have struggles with that kind of thing. You know, I'm, 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 uh, doing a little bit of rework on, the on the specter right now. The, the drawing file, the model file is, uh, gotten to the point that it's unusable. So I'm kind of redrawing 
the thing from scratch so it's so it's uh, a little bit more manageable and a lot of the lines just changing this ever so slightly or that ever so slightly and you know it, it just seems like it's it's very slow going you know i don't feel like the the artistic side is natural for me it's 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 pretty slow so yeah pretty much everything with the, <laughs> the bolster lock regarding where the lines are has been slow going trying to figure out where things should be to look right it's got to be hard yeah, and it sounds like, though, that it's the kind of challenge that is giving you a lot of amazing experience because working all of that out, like I was just thinking about how once you get the lock geometry and like the blade tank positioning, the pivot positioning, all of that set, like that seems like, at least from what I've heard from other makers, is that it, it makes it a lot easier to move on to another kind of knife model now that you have all of the the math worked out and now that you have all of the interfaces worked out you can kind of build around that and, and explore different things and kind of feel like you guys are pushing yourselves but also gaining a lot in the process and i feel like that's going to lead to a lot of increasingly you know high quality knives that's pretty exciting for us yeah i think the lock geometry having all that stuff sorted out it really makes it much easier to go forward especially if you use the same size components if you, you know stick with a quarter inch pivot and same size bearings and all that it's that mm -hmm. portion of it's pretty easy because you've solved that problem once so mm -hmm. focus on cosmetic issues after that i feel like with the original specter i mean the one that i have not only did you guys figure out like all the the geometry and, and everything but i think you guys did more than just figure it out. I mean, this is just, it still competes as the probably one of the top folders in my collection. Um, and so I guess part of that leads me to a question, like how how much would you say, I mean, you said that you were inspired a lot by Shira Garof, but I guess how much uh, would you say that they, they continue to inspire you or, or that you're chasing them or not? Um, kind of wondering how you feel about it now that you've become this knife maker and you're executing at such a high level. Oh, I, I think ever, you know, even being compared to them occasionally is tremendously flattering. As far as I'm concerned, they're so far <laughs> ahead of where we'll ever be. I'm, I'm just constantly impressed by what, what they do. So when we were at Blade Show this year, um, Sergey, is that how you say it, right? Mm -hmm. Sergey, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he was to our right, and mm -hmm. I, like, I think that his knives are just beautiful. I mean, that he's so talented. To the point where Joe was like, you should go over and say hi and introduce yourself. Like, I couldn't do it because I was afraid I'd be like a gushing fangirl or something. <laughs> and too embarrassing. <laughs> it just, he's, he's got incredible talent. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. That's the fun thing about these shows is being able to walk up to these people that you assume are going to be like almost celebrity-like. But they're, they're all just... They're nice people. They make knives, and they want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I kind of wondered why the 111 was so large until I met him and shook his hand. And it's probably small in his hand. <laughs> He's like seven <laughs> foot five. He's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's probably about, you know, what a neon is to the rest of us to that guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but that actually brings us back to uh, something that I, I wanted to pick your brain uh, about a little bit that we all kind of – we're curious about but what are some of the highs and lows that you guys have experienced um we already touched on some highs maybe you guys have some more uh but we'd love to hear some of that perspective on on being a knife maker in the industry today oh there's there's a lot of a lot of highs um you know like i kind of mentioned earlier one of the things i absolutely love about it 
is you can apply experience from different fields that seem completely unrelated and they all kind of come together and it it, it it works even though it doesn't seem like they're necessarily related. A lot of the same math that you do in, in comp sci is really useful, you know, in terms of figuring out some of the some of the physics of the lock and the detent and all the rest of that. Mm. Really, really enjoyed that. And it's, it's very similar to the, like I mentioned, that constructive solid geometry is so similar to the way the to, to the way the G code ends up getting generated from the from the solid model that you you know that we use in like Autodesk Inventor, it, so mm. a lot of the stuff is is very related. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the, one of the lows we were talking about earlier as we were eating dinner is is this is pretty much all we do, right? We go to our day jobs <laughs> and then we come home we immediately get to work here. And the the kitchen is already a disaster, and it's it's Sunday, so it's I feel like it's going to save us some time. I don't have to destroy it later in the in the week. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. So Wait. you guys still work full time? We do. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Holy Jesus. shit! Oh wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I so, think the lows then would be two things, right? So long hours and little personal time, but then mm. the dirty house is the big one too. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well i mean at this point can't you just like machine a robot that will clean your house for you or something like, i must have missed that class <laughs> <laughs> wow that's pretty crazy so how, how are you guys i mean is there any plan then to go full-time with just the knife making so there's there's uh, start in the beginning of this year i might go part-time at work and then do I guess I'm technically doing full-time now in the basement, but more full-time in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Less full-time at work. <laughs> and by part-time, like an extra day off or something a week. So nothing mm, drastic. Yeah, nothing drastic. But, but. <laughs> yeah, it's just something, it's it's fun. We both enjoy doing it for a lot of different reasons. And the fact that we're pretty much busy all the time is all right. I, I don't mind it. Yeah. Are there plans of like hiring anybody or to... to... No. no, I don't think so. So far, we're we're able to keep up, at least as, as as well as we want to. So, yeah, no, probably no plans of hiring anyone. I think we don't so really speak- want to get into, like, the production, like, the big production thing. I think we we enjoy having it be a small small family shop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It would be, like, Speaking HR of, Sort or of something. keeping up with production. About how, uh, how much are you able to make? Like, what kind of uh, production capacity do you have like knives per week or month I should ask I uh, guess. that's a good question so it, it's kind of difficult to even say because you know since since we have day jobs the only way we can keep up with with orders is by doing big big batches of things which mm-hmm. is, is great for increasing throughput but it makes it very difficult to even say how long does it I, I have friends at work say how long does it take you to build a knife well i don't have any idea because we <laughs> did the stuff in huge batches i don't have any idea how much time we've got mm-hmm. so to, i guess to answer the question i'm not 100 percent sure what we could produce on a weekly or monthly basis because a lot of times you're springboarding off work that you did the prior month but you just haven't used it up yet yeah. right well, that's interesting I, yeah that makes sense so I think like when like right now we don't have a lot of production or a lot of stuff going out the door because Joe's focused on finishing up the bolster lock. We have some changes um, for the current specter, just some minor things, and then also drawing up the next knife. So I think mm. before we were doing that, I think without killing ourselves, we could reasonably put out maybe five a week, and that would be 
like five makers choice. So not really dealing with trying to customize stuff for people. I think we could reasonably keep that up and not burn ourselves out. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't too bad. Hmm. You mentioned before that you had a son. Um, is he uh, of an adult age? Is he, does he have an interest in knife making at all? Um, not a lot of interest in knife making. He, he enjoys uh, knives, but yeah, he's, he's grown. He's, uh, he's 28 now, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. Yeah. So there's your, uh, your future other employee. If uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, one of the, I'm, I'm sure just about every maker on the planet could probably relate to this. One of the lows is it seems like there's always a friend that's got a 50 cent knife that wants me to put a $50 edge on it. I mean, it's, it's pretty much. <laughs> I work uh, where I work. I had an older guy who's just about ready to retire, but he had gotten a knife like 30 years ago at a garage sale. And he literally had spent 50 cents on it. It was rusted. He could hardly get it open anymore. And as soon as he heard that Joe was making knives, like he brought that in and he wanted, he wanted me to take it home. So Joe could clean it up back to like new condition. I can't remember what the knife was. Oh, it, it kind of reminded me of a uh, a buck clone. You know, it's just a lockback. Wow, a buck yeah, clone. covered in rust. You could barely open it with a pair of pliers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was stainless, but I'm pretty sure it didn't have carbon in it. It didn't fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so, so I, I, I cleaned it up the best I could, polished up the, the, the brass that was on it and the wood and put an edge on it. I'm sure it didn't hold it probably till that evening, but... <laughs> seem to make them happy so that's what mattered i guess we've tried to get better though about um saying you know we just don't have the time <laughs> <laughs> well uh speaking of other people's knives uh you've mentioned shirogorov a couple of times but what other uh what other knives do you guys do you do y'all like do you have some of your own that you have in your collection uh i'm gonna jump in jd vandevender i love the mini gold Love his yes. knives. Yeah. Yeah. I have one coming. Um, I think it was Alzerk with uh, Damascus and a Vinland blade and clip. So excited for it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I had I got a gold at blade uh, earlier, and uh, Mike has had quite a few of them actually. Yes, I have three of them now, and I have four of them being built. Oh, oh my four goodness. being built. <laughs> I got a, a a gold, a mini gold, um, a midi gold. That'll be Ooh. a future model and another Maybe. pinstripe. My goodness. Very are, cool. Are you a dealer? Have you, have, <laughs> <laughs> have you had a job change I recently? Did, <laughs> I did get kicked off of a table at New York Knife Show out in the hallway because somebody was like, you can't brown bag it. You dealers have to get a table. And I was like, no, this, uh, I'm, I'm just some idiot that brought too many knives to the thing. So we got yelled at. That's great. Yeah, hope to, following up on what Frank said, like uh, you besides Shiro, um, do you guys I mean, do you own a ton of knives? Do you collect it all, or do you just have your own knives? We just no, we we uh, we do some collecting. We're certainly increasing our collection as as uh, time goes on. Um, I've got a, a neon and a F95 uh, that are Shiro's. I've got. Um, uh, uh, the collaboration between uh, Southard and and uh, Shiro the Tanto that's uh, mm. coming here sometime soon. Um, let's see what else do we have. We had a Thorburn, or yeah. I did, I guess. Yeah, she had a Thorburn. There's a lot of makers absolutely love their work. Rogers, I'm continually impressed with what oh, he does. Yeah. Southard, I think he's got some of the coolest pivots on the planet. He just 
I think he does a great job. And and Koenig, of course, he, he's a hell of a nice guy. I've talked to Bill online a few times. He's a very nice guy. One of my favorite guys out there, honestly. Love his knives. Yeah. I've got yep. this, just as a quick aside to that point, um, I had this random chat with, with Bill once where I was just um, asking him about some knife or something like that, just very run-of-the-mill. And then he just kind of shot back, hey, do you guys want to, do you want to see something funny? So I was like, sure. And he just sent me a GIF that I guess he stumbled across that moment, but it was a GIF of a baseball player getting hit in the balls twice with a baseball. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I, I was just like, thanks, Bill. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious, but it was, I think, more funny because I had no way of expecting him to send me something like that. Uh, but yeah, definitely approachable guys. And I, I feel like you guys are, are, are super approachable too. Um, but yeah, great sense of humor and all that. Um, I, I do have, I, I'm sorry to bring the conversation back to this, but I have to ask you because I, I, I was just reminded of it. Um, and I'm sure you guys get this question a ton and might be already sick of it, but um, could you give uh, any kind of update or uh, yeah, I guess current status of the whole Spectre utility grade. Um, what happened with that project, or if if that project is on on hold now? So we sent out, I don't know, maybe four or five of them, and overall, mm -hmm. I think people it was good feedback. There wasn't really anything negative about them, um, but I think over the last, I don't know, it's maybe been the last two or three weeks, we've been tossing around. That I think we're not going to do utility. We're mm -hmm. gonna. We're going to kind of push that off until maybe some point in the future, maybe on another knife or if we get a bigger facility where we can actually do more and do it quickly, that would be something we can go back to. But at this point, if we if we branch out and do utility, we don't have enough time really to keep up with what we're doing right now. And I don't think yeah. that's something that we can do and and keep going as, you know, as a maker and move forward. So, right, because the goal would be to keep the price down, but. Yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. What was kind of ironic about it is that that was exactly the goal was to have yeah. less work, and it, it turns out that it was actually more handwork. <laughs> <laughs> we have some things to figure out before we get there, I guess. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> like, uh, which car is going to be on the driveway for the second Tormac, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we already know the answer to that. It ain't mine. <laughs> <laughs> so. Any other uh, highs or lows that you guys have experienced or anything, any other makers that, that are interesting you guys at the moment, even if you don't have them in your, in your collection represented? I think, actually, I want to go back to something. So it's kind of like a mix between a high and a low. But we've, we've, I feel like we've been very, um, we've been very, I don't, blessed isn't the right word. Fortunate. Fortunate, thank you. Fortunate with all the customers that we've had. And I I got a kick. It wasn't that long ago, maybe three months ago. We got a knife back in the mail and it was like a 20 or 21. It was a really early on one. And we really thought at that time, I mean, we were so careful about making sure fit and finish and everything was just perfect. And when we got the knife back, I had to start laughing because the clip, like the clip fit in the spot, but it was even hanging over the back. So there was like an actual lip there. And I think there's probably been a lot of things like that early on where we were trying to be really careful and we still miss things, but Everybody has been so understanding and, under, and just like giving us time and, you know, giving us the space to send something back and fix it if we made a mistake. And 
I think that we've been very fortunate with that. Oh mm. yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think a lot of that probably speaks to your the type of uh, communication that you have with your customers. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, they were so understanding, but you know, of course, if anybody had any kind of issue, obviously we'd take care of it as quickly as we could. Yeah. But. It just makes me laugh when we see some of those early ones because, I mean, we really were so stinking careful. And then it comes back and the clip's hanging off the end and nobody had ever said anything about it. <laughs> it had been traded around to so many people. You know, it's, it's funny. Angie's so organized. She she had these checklists and we'd have to go through and we'd check every item, you know, make sure the blade's centered, make sure there's no lock rock. <laughs> you know, just go item by item down there. Apparently we did not have a checkbox to see. Was, it, the, same was it the Nick Shabazz checkbox list? <laughs> <laughs> I found published that, that. Yeah, I found that not long, not long after we started. I did see that. That's <laughs> yeah, funny though. Wow, I, I feel like a, a checklist could be useful for a lot of makers out there, whether custom or production. Maybe even more so on the production side, but that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. one of the things that we've talked about though. Sometimes like the knife will go from Joe to me back to Joe. I mean, they flip flop so much as we're going through the process and I feel like we're constantly just staring at it and we might find like some nitpicky thing, but sometimes it's the obvious stuff that it's like you look at it for so long that you just, you always miss something. I shouldn't say always. That makes it sound like we've got quality <laughs> issues. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess my question, we, I have a lot of fun with uh, the materials uh, aspect of things, uh, and we've talked about it a number of times, and, you know, I met you at a materials table. I was wondering what you guys uh, thought about in terms of what materials you like, uh, what you like to use, what you would like to use, um, and maybe any, uh, I don't know, interesting things that you've experienced in working with, with new materials. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I'd like to try at some point, I've, I've done a carbon inlay, but I've never done a full carbon show side. I'd like to give that a shot at some point. We, we, I think that would be a nice, uh, nice evolution there. Yeah. As send tribute. Right to Eugene. I'll take I've it. got some carbon fiber I can send you right now if you're willing to try it. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, you should so do I found it. And something then... you, you can't really do with carbon fiber. You can't have a hidden screw go into a clip that is made out of carbon fiber. <laughs> I think I, I think I got about a day and a half use out of that before it split right down the lamination. <laughs> hey, well, good on you for trying it, though. Yeah, it was. You know, some some of the Damascus has been a little bit of a learning experience. The, you know, because it's just a handful of different alloys of titanium. So I, I assumed they probably would cut the same or perhaps even easier. And that's not the case. The stuff is really gummy and sticky. It's kind of a kind of a challenge to cut. You have to take a lot of small passes mm. to get through it without it gumming stuff up. Zirconium is kind of the same way. We've done a little bit of zirc, and it's it's similar in that respect. I think that's one of my favorites. Ah, that stuff's so pretty. Once you get done with it and getting it all polished up, that's my favorite. I think you guys yeah. had that zirc and green one. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw it. It's it just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, that one was pretty pretty sick. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That might be, out of all of them, that's probably one of my favorites now. Yeah, I think it was so. mine, too. You know, it's funny, with something like that, Angie did all the, the sanding on the Zerk and, you know, brought it up to, I don't what grit did you finish that at? It was something ridiculous, wasn't it? But, so, as you get closer to the end of it, you have to be increasingly more careful that you don't, you know, scratch something <laughs> that she's been sanding on for, for hours and hours. And I tell you, we put that last screw in, and it went in the box. I, <laughs> I didn't want to get anywhere near it. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> He's been yelled at a few times for scratching my anodization. Yep. Can you hear the fear in his voice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Some of the other materials I'd like to try out is is uh, definitely that Damacore. If if the supply of that ever gets to the point where we can actually get oh, some, yeah. I would love to make some blades out of that. Hmm. Yep. It is some cool stuff. It really is. Yeah, we we recently picked up some uh, stainless Damascus from Vegas Forge. That's a, another one I'm kind of looking forward to trying. Yeah. Oh, and you got the mammoth scales. Oh yeah, we bought some uh, bought some uh, mammoth tusk for inlay, and I haven't got around to using it yet. But that's I always thought that stuff was really pretty, like the colors in it. Cool. I think Frank Frank's a huge mammoth fan. Right? <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> you know, we had a we had a discussion about this recently. I'm not really a big fan of the mammoth tooth thing, but it's hugely popular. So very good to have that on hand. Someone's gonna want it for sure. Oh yeah. Me. As yeah, as an inlay, as an inlay, it would look amazing. It would be great. Yeah. I think Joe has sworn off inlays though. <laughs> They're kind of a pain. Yeah. So <laughs> there was. That guy Sid on Instagram that was very excited about getting his inlay project. Do you want to talk about that special project? I guess because you know I think that was organized through Nick and it was yeah. a gift of sorts. Yeah, I think it was uh, just shortly after we got back from Blade. Nick had sent an email and explained, um, you know, that Sid had the 137 Norseman, and uh, Nick was hoping that we could maybe do a some 37, whether it was 237, because I think at that point we were in the, we were close to 200, close I think. Close to 200, yeah. And we just happened to have a knife, I can't remember why, if we just didn't take it to Blade or what, but it was still sitting on the shelf and it was 137. So we took that apart and uh, save that number back wow. for him. And it seems like it took us forever to get the knife done. What, like six months? Oh, it really did, yeah. But um, yeah, so we got that all together and sent it out to Nick and he forwarded it on to Sid and Sid seems very happy to have a, have a brother for his other 137. And that, nice. that, that bit of uh, carbon was a it was a learning experience for me. I, <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> you know, I, I knew, of course, to put a respirator on because that stuff is bad news to breathe. But it didn't occur to me that I needed to protect my arms when I was sanding the extra oh. material off. Oh, man, that stuff's worse than any kind of fiberglass I've ever been around. <laughs> I was hairy with that stuff for a couple of days. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so would it just get stuck in your skin? Like, was it just like... Like yeah. piercings. Oh, geez. Yeah, and the, the fiber's small enough that I couldn't even see it. I mean, you'd have just little itchies <laughs> everywhere, but you couldn't see any of them. I tried pulling it out with duct tape. It managed to extract most of the hair on my arms, but it wouldn't touch the carbon fiber. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, the most fun that day. I kept volunteering with more duct tape. I'm like, let me help. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably scratch some of her anodizing or something, and she was getting me back. <laughs> Well, it sounds, uh, I, I guess, you know, this might be um, something that's a little bit, you know, sensitive, uh, but I, I think Mike here had a good question. No. That... <laughs> no? Okay. That was just for the chat box. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I have I have a related question. Well, I guess it's not really related, but uh, in, I don't know, depending. But uh, I guess one of the things that you don't see too often in the knife world, it seems like at least, is, yeah, like... Uh, having a husband and wife team, you know, um, and so that's something that I think I find to be really, really interesting, um, and just the dynamic that's at play there, uh, having your shop in your house, 
I guess I guess that either of you guys really see it, it sounds like the answer to this is kind of it, it might be a no, but like, did you guys ever really see um, this kind of work as being a big part of your life or as much of a part of a life as your life as it's become? <laughs> That's a big no. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah, it did. You know, and the, th the thing about it is, is, you know, th there's pros and cons to it. It's, you know, we're around each other a lot, which sometimes is good and sometimes not. <laughs> But the one thing that's universally good is is we're both going in the same direction yeah. on one project, and it's been very unifying. Mm. Yeah. So how do you guys decide then? Like when when you you mentioned doing like maker's choice kind of configurations, like do you guys ever run into a situation where one of you wants to go in a direction with the knife, but the other doesn't, or how do you guys uh, like figure out the kinds of directions you want to go with each individual custom knife? That's mostly Angie, to be honest. I. Uh... You know, I, I machine stuff up, do the fitting and whatnot, but most of the, the cosmetic stuff is her. Yeah, I think so we she, usually split it. So if there's something like in the shop or it's actually machining or a knife design or I think even materials, like you basically make the decisions on all of that, what we will do and won't do. And then anything on the other side of it, I take care of. Yeah. So I have to make so them get like, yeah, like some, some uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Say. Yeah, some say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess we're just trying to figure out who to talk to to get our special custom build, right? I guess it'd be Angie then. We got to talk with you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be Angie. <laughs> I'm just a shop monkey, nothing more. <laughs> you know, what would you say? Back to like the beginning conversations of the highs and the lows. And I think this is another one that like spans both of them, but. Since we've, um, since people are starting to know who we are, and you know, people want the Spectre, and we can't, we can't keep up right now, and so it's hard when people, they'll send me a message, and it's, it's usually some story about how, you know, it's their birthday, or they're just about to deploy, or, I don't know, there's all kinds of things, and they, they really just want something special in a Spectre, and it's so hard for us, for me, to have to go back and say no. So it's like, it's nice that you know, we have people that want it, but then on the other hand, it's. It's just hard to have to turn them down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Charlie, you had a question? Yeah, um, so at least when designing the Spectre, what would you say is like the most challenging part of it? And I guess what what's like the one part you enjoy also um, with regards to like either designing a new knife artistically or <clears throat> just like engineering-wise? So I think the, the most challenging part, I think, for the Spectre when did the first several prototypes was the the detent there's so much more going on there than i would have imagined looking at it you know as an outsider having not really worked on them before hmm. you know you, you look at it and you think well it just provides a little bit of force against uh you know the flipper tab and 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 you know it releases and the knife pops open but there's actually quite a lot going on there one of the things i think i grossly underestimated was the amount of precision in locating the detent hole in the blade you know, if, if you look at it from the pivot to the detent hole and then from the pivot to the tip of the blade, there's about a 15 to 1 ratio. So if you make a, a, a you know, if you make an error, uh, let's say you miss the location by a thousandth of an inch, it's 15 thousandth, which you can absolutely see by the time it gets to the tip of the blade. It's just it, the, the, mm. the precision required to get it to work well is it, it was it was kind of shocking to me. I was I was really surprised. 
but yeah, the, the way it, the way it works is a lot different than the way I would have initially thought that it worked. I thought it had more to do with the shape of the flipper tab to get good action. And it really doesn't have that much to do with it. It has some, but you know, more of it's how far the detent ball goes into the blade, how close to the hemisphere of the ball it inserts into the blade is, is probably the number one thing, but certainly didn't understand that when I started. I, I think as far as the things, things I enjoy, I mean, the, the, the detent, the action I think is, is, is very interesting, but, you know, trying to, to come up with a combination um, that will accommodate, you know, good action and good solid lockup, but still have it in a pretty package because there's always trade-offs. You can't make it look artistically the way you want everywhere. You know, you have to give and, and, and take a little bit to accommodate the, the mechanics and the lock and, and all the rest of that. It's just, it's a lot of fun trade-offs. Yeah, so I, I guess when when it comes to designing your your next project, what do you look forward to? Uh, I guess the most with you know newer projects, newer knives, newer anything. I think the 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 most enjoyable part is you know the the way you start, of course, is a napkin. I mean, you just do some rough sketches on a piece of paper and and try to get some idea what you're after, and then you produce the solid models for it. And I think the most enjoyable part is when you take those solid models and you've, you've uh, created the G-code for it, you upload that into the mill and, and then you start machining the parts and you can have it in your hand and say, wow, that was absolutely not what I thought it was going to be. Or, <laughs> no, that's perfect. I love the way it feels or whatever. You know, just, just getting to take it from the, from the napkin into a part that you can hold in your hand, I think it's so rewarding. Oh, that's pretty crazy. So do you guys use other kinds of like mills or 3D printers to do like fast prototyping or anything like that? Uh, not really. I'll, I'll sometimes I'll machine stuff out of aluminum if it's just something I want to get in my hand because it's you know it's cheap. It doesn't really matter if you have to throw a bunch of it away. But no, I haven't I haven't really printed anything before. Mm-hmm. Where do you? How do you see that fitting into like knife making in the future? Because it seems like some people really see that as the next big kind of leap, I guess. Uh, but some seem to be a rather skeptical. Where do you guys fit on that? What do you think? Oh, I could definitely see. So, so uh, right now, if, if you were going to do it, the, the materials are crazy expensive. I don't know what powdered titanium costs if you're going to print some handles, but I looked up uh, recently what the powdered stainless steel costs. I don't think it'd be suitable for a blade, but you know, just using it as a, as a basis tie is certainly going to cost more. This stuff was about 250 bucks a pound. For oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, it'd be prohibitively expensive right now. And I'm sure, like I said, titanium is probably worse, maybe 500 bucks a pound or something like that. But when the prices for this stuff end up coming down, I think it'd be a great way to do the handles. You know, the, the, the printed material would probably be a lot like a casting. You know, you can't get machine surfaces from a 3D printer, but you could certainly print it and then machine the critical surfaces and have something that works real well. Um, it has, it, there's, there's a number of advantages. Uh, the metal printers, you can fuse together dissimilar metals. So you could have something very durable where there's wear surfaces and something that was very light where there's not. You know, you could have magnesium and titanium probably fused together if you wanted to. You can print things that are hollow on the inside, solid on the outside. So you, you could make weight ridiculously low with, with printed parts like that. Interesting. You know, I, I, I kind of wish, just as an aside, I kind of wish that we had all this on, like, video. Because I, I just imagine, as you're talking, Joe, like, all these math formulas swirling <laughs> around your head, you know? I don't know about that, but there's a lot of arm waving. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like slowly zooming in on your face. As, as <laughs> yeah. 
Frank, I feel like that might be exciting to you. In the future, you could have uh, fused together all of your crazy materials in one knife. All oh the my materials. gosh, man. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's what I want. I just I need that to happen. The material science is too much fun here. Yeah. You know, one of the things I wonder if they'll wind up being able to do with the printers is I wonder if they'll be able to print uh, something that's Damascus-like. Mm. It doesn't seem unreasonable that that would be possible. I'm sure that you could, like, you know, make it happen in layers in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, maintain some of that structural strength that you get from other kind of premiums, non-Damascus steels, uh, but have that aesthetic look to it that would definitely take a different kind of etch or whatnot. That'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what kind of timeline are we looking at for? Because I feel like all of this discussion is just, just getting me so excited and, and geared up for more whole blade work stuff like what kind of timeline do you think that we might be able to expect for say the bolster lock or if you're willing to pin pin a month range down to that for like say the the, the sheep's foot oh i'm putting my hand over his mouth right now because i have to deal with the questions that are going to come <laughs> <up>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you can just no, let us no. know in the chat box so then <laughs> So for the bolster lock, we have, I think, four, maybe five orders. And so those, hello. I think, what was that? <laughs> I just said hello. <laughs> <laughs> I think pretty much all of them are in this chat right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so we have about four or five of those. And I sure. think so. We have some prestige to finish up now, get those done around the end of this year, and then we'll start... Um, doing those bolster locks and at the same time i think what do you have for the new knife now you have it drawn up i do yeah i've got uh, i've got a lot of it drawn up it's not completely done but it's most of it's figured out but we haven't actually taken it from a drawing to having something come off the mill yet yeah. so there's still there's still a big learning curve maybe learning curve isn't the right word but i think one of the should we talk about the beta yeah, go ahead. So one of the things we'd like to do... Do you like how you just asked me if you could talk about something? <laughs> yeah, that's good, that's good. <laughs> so one of the things we want to, want to do with the sheep's foot before we actually start offering them up is I, I want to make up, I don't know, five or ten or something and send them out and let people use them for a while. I have some betas. I want to get all the all the changes done before we ever start selling them so that it's, you know, it's, it's a static thing after we start selling them so we're not making changes on the fly. Yeah, that actually raises, an, uh, I think, a, a question that a lot of us have have kind of talked about. Yeah, Mike, did you want to? Did you? No, wanna I, I just said in as I'm in. I'm, <laughs> I'm in beta testing. <laughs> oh, I see, yeah, yeah, because uh, we we noticed that you guys do like to kind of even keep a change log uh, to continue continuously update your knives. Does that is that hard to deal with? Like, does that mean you have to yeah. stock a lot of additional parts from previous versions, even or something like that? Like, what is that like logistically? And it's kind of a pain because we've had so many changes. I, you know, the hope was when we initially started, you know, that you'd be able to buy knife number two and, you know, a year down the road, buy a different clip for it if you wanted Damascus or Damasteel or something like that and put it on. The reality is a lot of that stuff has changed through the evolution and it's probably not real practical. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's we've, we've kind of kept the change logs on there because we're both software people. It just <laughs> it seemed like you want to know... <laughs> What happened? That's funny. I didn't even think about that. You feel guilty if you don't do it, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the release notes for your knife. <laughs> Make sure you download the latest patches. 
I think one of the things we learned from the Spectre, though, is if we had known enough people early on that we could have sent that out, I think a lot of the stuff that we've changed along the way, we could have done right in the beginning. Yeah. That's really what we're hoping for the next knife is that we don't have V1, V2, V3. It's just pretty much a complete knife when we are actually ready to send it out. Yeah. You know, if we make changes as time goes on, maybe it'd be different you know, machining patterns or something on the outside or inlays or whatever, but you know, the core of it would be exactly the same would be the hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some, there's some makers that I feel like if you get a knife early in, early in the run, because you want to support them, um, you, you end up kind of missing out on some of the later developments and processes that they, that they include, you know, later on in the run. And so, uh, I think it's always pretty cool to see a lot of changes being updated and then brought to a new model entirely. Um, so the knives just keep getting better, uh, but then you get you have a reason to own all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so are you kind of in favor then of, of, of the knife evolving from the beginning to the end then, or would you rather see one that was just static, came out, never really changed other than maybe some cosmetic stuff? Assuming it's all good. Assuming it's all good. Sure. Uh, well, I know that I, I would probably prefer that, to be honest. But what, what about you guys? What do you guys think? I think that's something we've, we, we've talked about before, but I'm not sure if we have in an episode. What do you guys think? Charlie, you uh, want to take that? Yeah, I, I would. Uh, it's, it's hard to say, right? If it's small iterative changes, um, yeah, have it in. But I think when you guys go through multiple iterations in it, almost is uh at least visibly different i think that's when you know it's just a different knife or i I don't know i I don't like the idea of uh you know a knife that you have for maybe a few months and then it's outdated so to speak right yeah Um, there's got to be like some some line there like with iphones and stuff i don't want to just buy an iphone and then it's not the latest anymore because that matters (laughs) (laughs) no it's true but maybe in the future with these 3d printing stuff that we can we literally could just download an update (laughs) (laughs) yeah have the new knife now that would be an interesting business model right there you you have to own the 3d printer (laughs) (laughs) you just download it and you have your knife Incidentally, I I, I priced one of those about uh, two weeks ago. It was a metal printer. I think it was selling used for 400K. 400K? 400K. Just slightly out of the reach of of the regular individual. (laughs) 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 Maybe maybe we'll get Paulo Balzano to promise somebody he'll make one of those. There you go. Anybody? Did anybody see that insanity earlier this week? No. There's just always a lot coming out from that direction. That guy. Anyways, I'm not going to get into all that drama. There's some guy promising some knives that are, like, never going to happen. Anyways. $400,000. Oh, $400,000. Okay, so what? how many... How many uh, With a metal printer. That? That's, like, 2,000, 3,000 specters. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a lot more than that, isn't it? A lot, well, because you also have to live, right? So I guess yeah. that's, that's more than that. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a question for Angie, though, Um, since you're handling like all of the communication with uh, fans or customers and stuff like that, um, what would you say are like some common requests you get either like, (laughs) can you do this to my knife or can you do this to the next knife that you build kind of a thing? (laughs) 
I'm, I'm sure people are like experts with you know design and stuff so they always give you that advice on what to do. yeah i think i think my favorite one is um usually like i have specter number i don't know some early number and now can you uh can you change the handle pattern and get me a dama steel blade on it <laughs> oh man so, so, so you, you want, want a new knife? knife? <laughs> so you want no, 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 I want to keep this one. Can you just update it for me? No, you don't get it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those are kind of tough conversations to have. <laughs> sure. Well, they must really like the hardware. They're probably just keeping all the screws, right? I mean, yeah. we've gotten attached to the screws. It's their favorite pivot they've ever had, right? So. <laughs> you know, I never asked him that. I should next time. Yeah, there's some guy who's like, Angie, I just really like this pivot, okay? I, I can't <laughs> so uh, will you guys be going to any shows this year? Definitely. This, I guess this coming year. I guess this uh, in 2019. Yeah, we've we've got a table at, at uh, Blade. I don't know if we're planning on any other shows or not, but no, that's probably the big one. It's honestly, it's a lot of a lot of stress and work to get to that point. I don't know if it's like that for other makers, but man, we were oh, we were oh, going hard for a couple of months. Mm. You know. Seems like it's it's a big crunch time for everyone trying to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you guys feel about all of these uh, like shows cropping up all over the place? I mean, maybe not all over the place. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but it seems like there's just a lot of shows, especially um, at, like after Blade Show. There's a, just a ton back to back. So, how do you guys feel about that? Do you see yourself going, being able to in the future going to more than just Blade Show? I don't know. I kind of wouldn't mind picking up another one, but it, it would be great if it was about six months from Blade. I'm not sure what's going on then, but. I mean, that would be like now, like the New York one. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Mike's excited about that. I'm happy about this. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us, we are like, whatever, right? But <laughs> I, mean, I expect that's probably down the road a ways if we do. Yeah, it's it's just a lot to keep up with, with the other job and then trying to take off enough time to make enough knives ahead of time and time off to get there. So when we went... The blade this current year, I guess it was the first time that we had ever gone and um, we worked ourselves way too much. So then we had vacation backed up right after Blade Show. So we left Blade, we flew to the Keys, and I think we slept like the first three days. <laughs> <laughs> we wake up and like sit on the patio and drink a cup of coffee and then go back in and sleep for a few more hours. It was really pathetic. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I, I was so wrecked from it. I'm, I'm one of those old guys. I just wake up at five every morning. It's completely uncontrollable. But on vacation when we left, I slept until 10 o'clock one day. I haven't done that in over probably 10 or 12 years. Yeah. Are you a teenager? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Hey, wait, wait, next, next year's next year's blade show will probably be a lot different for for you two. I mean, when oh, yeah. Blade 2018, um, you had knives out, but now you're just so hyped up, and there's such a crazy demand for your knives that you know those first come first serve. You know that'd be you'd have a big crowd at your table. I mean, I yeah, think we're gonna try to do two this year is. Um, Maybe make some, make some flashier ones, something special. Cause you know, this last year we went and somebody asked us the first thing, like when they walked up to the table, they were like, do you have anything like fun in Damascus? Anything that you're not going to do again? And I was like, no, <laughs> we have <laughs> knives. <laughs> That's about it. You had a lot for sale on the table this year. 
Yeah, I can't remember I how played. many we went with. I think we had 40-some that we brought. You know what was really funny is is uh, the first person came up, and they wanted to buy a knife, and uh, they had cash. <laughs> and it didn't even occur to us. We had a credit card processing <laughs> thing, but we weren't really familiar with how that worked. <laughs> like, cash? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they said. They said everyone bring cash. So yeah. we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. how tired we were. We didn't even think about it. No, fortunately, your dad was with, and he had change. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I probably had two dollars in my billfold. (laughs) Yeah, we're looking forward to this year. I think though, this coming year at Blade, it'll be nice because there's people now that we've known and we've talked to for more than just a couple of months. So it'll actually be nice when we get there to know people. It was really fun getting to see some, you know, tie the faces to the names, the people who've been interacting with. I, I enjoyed that a lot. That was good. I'm curious, how do you guys feel about, you know, the overall reaction, um, like how popular your knives have gotten and how some people have already, uh, you know, taken advantage of it, scalping, so to speak? <laughs> uh, I don't know. What's your thoughts, I guess? <laughs> Stop pointing at me. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> Here's the good stuff, right? Yeah. I don't know. I it so I like that for me is a little bit of a pressure point. I but I think it's because early on, like I really did know everybody that got a knife from us and when we made it, like there was just like like it wasn't like we were family or anything, but I knew who they were and so I was giving them something that we had put a lot of time into. So I think that that set me up for when we got to the point where people knew who we were and they could take our knives and, you know, take it from us. And then the next day, sell it and make a profit to somebody else. So it was just it was a hard thing for me to transition from. If that makes sense. No, it's totally a totally different mindset. That's that's 100 percent sure. Yeah. So, you know, what, what of kind of percentage are you OK with then? <laughs> what was that? No, I'm just kidding. I was just saying, what kind of percent would, would, would won't push your button? <laughs> I think she expects a person to keep it till they die. Yeah. <laughs> the kids. <laughs> they need to be good kids, too. Yeah. <laughs> he jokes about it, but honestly, when we started, like, I didn't know the knife community. I was just helping Joe out. And I think that, like, for me, it was, I didn't understand that people just bought them and, like, just traded them in two weeks. I that's hard for me to fathom, but I'm getting used to it. So I'm not quite so wound up anymore. So one of the things we've tried to do that I think helps the secondary market, you know, we're small, so nobody's probably going to ever clone our stuff, but it's actually pretty easy to keep the clones from occurring. At least. So what we started doing is we've got RFID. Um, it looks like a credit card that we ship out with the knives now. And it has a bunch of information on it that's encoded that's specific to the knife that you happen to have. You can take this. It's near field RFID. So you can scan it with your with your phone and it'll you know pull up a, a, a Web page and it'll you know tell you about the knife. And the thing is that that card is completely uncopyable. And. You know, so as long as, as as you trade, you know, if you you sell your knife and you sell the card with it, you get the card. You know for sure that that is, in fact, the original knife. It's not not a clone. I, I think if some of the big guys would do that that have trouble with the, the clones, I think it would probably put a stop to it because you cannot copy that stuff. It's got military-grade encryption in it. So I guess a question for you guys on that topic. Um, have you ever traded, like on the secondary market, traded and gotten a clone that you that you weren't expecting a clone. You thought you were getting the real thing. 
I did. I, did. I got a ZT, um, was it the 808? And I had it for maybe a year. I got it from somebody else who I knew, and they had a, uh, I wasn't, I don't think they were trying to screw me or anything. Yeah. But it wasn't until I sold it or traded it to someone else that mm. they noticed some detail about it. And then I ended up just buying a real one and shipping it to them. But that happened once on a ZT. Wow. Huh. That's wow. pretty crazy. No, yeah. I've yep. never had a, uh, I've never gotten a clone. Uh, I've, I've tried to stay away from any potential situation where that could happen, though. Yeah, I had a, um, I had a paramilitary, too, that my friend was asking me to sell for him. So, you know, it was one of those uh, sprint, one, one of the rare sprint, sprint runs. And so I sold it um, at what, you know, everyone agreed was a fair price. Uh, but when the guy got it, it, turned out the guy was uh, basically a PM2 collector. So he he poured over every detail of it. And I'm glad that he did because he he discovered that it was it was, in fact, a, a clone. He even talked to uh, the original shop owner who commissioned that particular sprint run um, and confirmed it with him. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a it's a bummer that 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 stuff happens. And um, I mean, what do you do with the knife? after you've discovered that it's a clone, you've spent mm -hmm. all this money on it. So now my friend's out however much money he's spent on it. Um, and he's got this knife that really isn't really worth anything anymore. So it's a, it's a little unfortunate. And I think that the whole encrypted uh, RFID card that you guys have, that that's a pretty cool idea. Can, mm -hmm. you, can you guys code it so that it, it takes the previous owner's credit card information? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> gives you guys a cut of whatever they sold it for? <laughs> I, I think they use uh, the the same technology with uh, some of the high-end women's handbags and, and yeah, they do pharmaceuticals yeah high-end wines and stuff like that too it's wow. the cards are actually pretty inexpensive they're like 50 cents a piece or something uh, like a buck a piece yeah buck a piece and if it was somebody big like zt you know that you know they'd probably buy volume enough that they'd maybe be a quarter a piece it seems like it's a small price to pay for guarantee and authenticity Okay, but we are talking about ZT. You know, they ship their knives out in literally just a cardboard box, right? So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much more they're going to want to invest in their customers. So. so I guess at this point, it's safe to say that we don't really have any, I don't think we have any production knives, do we? Like, sure, we're off. But other than that, I don't think we have, when you have like an old... Was oh, that a the, Kaiser? The, yeah, the Lion Steel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. A couple of those, but that's from a long time ago. A long time ago. ago. Hey, speaking of Lions, though, um, that, that reminds me of a question I wanted to ask earlier. How did you guys come up with your, your brand logo? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Lion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <Sorry>. so... <laughs> <laughs> Just got, what's going on? <laughs> so, Joe, so, Joe had come up with a bunch of, like, just... I don't know, fonts, right, for Hope Blade Works. And then I don't even remember how we got on the line for sure, but this is a little embarrassing. So when when we first started, I honestly didn't know that anybody was ever going to know who we were. So I just went out to free clip art and grabbed a lion head. <laughs> and then I brought it home and I, like, cut some stuff out of it and, like, changed the hair around. Oh, yeah, it's great. So we oh, have yeah. a clip art as our logo. We know what we're doing, though. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well do you like do you ever look at it and think oh my goodness we're stuck with this now we're stuck with this yeah what the heck was i thinking i do uh -huh. <laughs> you can always you can always change it up or something i don't yeah. think people would get too upset no. you take a different line 
I, I it's, like the lion, it's though. It's just a little embarrassing, though. It's the whole, yeah, our logo is free clip art, especially, oh, so this was like four months ago. Somebody on Instagram sends me a picture of some other company that's using the exact the same lion. And <laughs> 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 they like sending both pictures side by side with question marks. That's when I figured out, yeah, how stupid it really was. So, you know, we try to learn. The, the other company is run by, like, Josh and Angela or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Husband and wife team. <laughs> and what if you accidentally use the wrong clip art file and suddenly you have, like, the something else on your knife? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was thinking that that would be a cool uh, uh, pattern uh, in to mill into your handles, just a bunch of these lion's heads. Yeah. Like, kind of like how Z Hunter does it. I know. Gloves I are mean, coming like, off. Shira Goroff is within reach, but uh but we'll just uh, you know someday maybe maybe even they'll catch up to Z Hunter. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, it's been such a blast. Uh I can't believe we're already uh toward coming up at, at the end of our show here because uh man the time just went by so quickly um and you guys shared a ton of great information with us I, i'm pretty sure you're going to be getting a ton of emails and questions and special requests so uh thank you for being willing to be on the receiving end of all that <laughs> sharing with us all that you did um yeah uh, again we're looking forward to anything else that you guys produce we're huge fans of, of your stuff here at this podcast and i know that many other people out there are just totally head over heels with what you guys do um it's well deserved and so we thank you for coming on once again thank you thank we had you. a blast yeah really enjoyed it thank so you guys. um yeah, yeah guys, thanks very much listeners uh, out there uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of the knife life podcast once again i'm eugene kwan you can find me on instagram youtube um, under that name uh, and i'm frank i'm dr frunky on youtube instagram and gmail and this is mike i am bloom and blade on instagram and this is charlie i'm accidentally nice on instagram and once again we just want to invite you guys if you have any thoughts questions suggestions anything that you want to share with us um yeah pictures of your whole blade work specter uh, go ahead and shoot us an email at knifelifepodcast at gmail.com. And with that, you guys have yourselves a nice knife life.